What have romantic relationships looked like in your life? Relationships can be one of our greatest creative drivers, or when they're bad or draining, they can be an unbelievable creative block. Learning to navigate relationships and lean into their beauty allows you to open up to what I believe can be one of the most beautiful parts of life and one of the most generative things for our creativity. So if you want to learn actionable tips to connect, create, and heal within a romantic relationship, then today's episode is a must listen. Welcome to Unleash Your Inner Creative with Lauren LaGrasso. I'm Lauren LaGrasso. I'm an award-winning podcast host and producer, singer-songwriter, and multi-passionate creative. This show sits at the intersection of creativity, mental health, self-development, and spirituality, and is meant to give you tools to love, trust, and know yourself enough to claim your right to creativity and pursue whatever it is that's on your heart. Today's guest is Kelly Miller. Kelly is a psychotherapist, best-selling author, and TV and radio host. She's the award-winning author of Thriving with ADHD, a workbook for kids, which has sold over 150,000 copies to date and has been translated into multiple languages. She's an expert on romantic relationships and recently wrote her new book, Love Hacks, Simple Solutions for Your Most Common Relationship Issues. This comes out on January 13th. The book is filled with simple tools to help you navigate through the top 15 relationship challenges. Kelly and I met through our mutual friend Mitra, so Kelly is a friend, but the real reason I wanted to have her on is because she offers practical advice on topics like how to deal with your own traumas in relationships, how to divide the chores, which is for some reason so complicated, how to deal with a partner who doesn't listen, and even how to work with or move on from a partner who doesn't support your dreams. From today's chat, you'll learn how to build self-love before and also within a relationship, why conflict and repair actually makes you closer, the danger in all-or-nothing thinking, why if you never fight, it might actually be a red flag, how to create on or write about an already much-discussed topic, such as relationships, and more. Okay, now here she is, Kelly Miller. Coming at you live, you've got two Aquarians here in the house. We are ready to talk about relationships. Kelly, I'm so excited to be with you. Welcome to Unleash Your Inner Creative. Thank you for being I'm here. I'm so excited. Thank you so much. You know, I adore you. So I I'm adore excited. you. We met through our dear friend Mitra, who just had an incredibly popular episode come out on Unleash about the Year of the Dragon. People have been loving that one. I saw that. Oh my gosh. It was so great. And she just did an amazing workshop. But anyway... Today, we're here to talk about you. First things first, you've just written this new book about relationships. I know it's what you're most passionate about in your life right now. And I'm always super curious because like, I hear a lot of creatives say like, oh, I want to talk about this thing or I want to you know, write about this thing or I want to make an album, but everybody else has already done it. And arguably, relationships are one of the most talked about, studied, just like biggest parts of the human experience. And yet people keep writing about them, talking about them, studying them in different ways. So I'm curious for you because there's so many people who do have something on their heart but won't approach it because they think it's like quote unquote overdone. How do you approach a topic that a lot of people already talk about and find your unique take on it? It's a great question. So I think that's what propelled me to write the book in the first place was all these couples relationships books were so arduous Mm. and long and I was like people need help quickly so I really thought about okay what are the top 15 most common relationship issues 
And let's give three solutions for each. Let's make it quick and easy. Because most of the time, if couples are going to look for relationship books, they're in crisis. They need help immediately. They don't have time to journal for days and, you know, reflect. It's like, hey, just give me the quick and easy. Yeah, that's a great point. So how, though, did you stumble upon that concept? Like, was it over all these years of working as a couples therapist and then finally like putting together the patterns. I'm just curious for somebody listening, like how can they find their unique take on whatever their thing is? I think you're spot on. It was experience. It was having all these couples walk into my office and saying the same things over and over. And I was like, ooh, okay, we're creating a pattern here of, yeah, this seems to be an issue. Oh, this seems to be an issue. So that's correct. It was based on experience. So that's great advice. So basically notice the patterns, notice the things that like you or other people are always talking about, see the through lines. What is the most unique take that you have on it? And then putting that out into the world. Yeah, I think you're right. You need that unique spin though, right? In order to make it different. Well, and your stuff is super actionable, but okay, before we get into that, why relationships? Like why is this the thing that fascinates you more than anything else? I think it's the human connection. To me, there's nothing more valuable. There's nothing more important. I mean, that's how we feel. That's how we love. There's so much there. And then what I love about relationships is it's not just romantic relationships. Relationships are fascinating with your siblings, with your parents. I mean, there's so much there. So I love digging deep in there and and getting into it. You know, I'm kind of curious to ask you this. I recently had somebody on who is a expert on single life. I don't know if you've ever heard of her. Her name's Bella DePaulo. No. Yeah, she's really cool. She just gave me like a very different take on it because I think for a long time I thought like people who were single like just hadn't found someone yet. And I never really thought about the fact that like some people actually are happier single. Like what what is your take on that? I'm just curious. Yes. For sure. I mean, I think to each his own. I think you're you're absolutely right. There are people who are legitimately happy single. I think a lot of people can't understand that because it's like, wait, but companionship is so wonderful. But I think it's whatever works for you. If you are happy alone and you don't want to find somebody, great. If you do want to find somebody, that's okay too. It's all okay. Right. It really does come down to self-work because so much of how we show up in relationships, approach relationships, or even if somebody out there is like, no, I'm single at heart, I want single life, is about finding satisfaction and a sense of home within ourselves. A main goal of the show is cultivating self-love, self-trust, and self-knowledge enough so that you can pursue whatever it is that's on your heart. But I would also say that in order to get into a healthy and effective relationship, Those are really good goals to have because you'll enter your most authentic self if you have those things. How do you approach those those tasks like self-love, self-trust and self-knowledge? And how do you advise your clients to get toward those things? I think you are right and that we do need to do the work before we enter into a relationship. But I think what people forget is that you're always doing the work, right? Whether you're alone or within a relationship. So I think the best mirror is actually in a relationship because your partner points it out to you and you're like, oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, I think they both need to happen. What is self-love to you, first of all? Because this is something, even though I talk about it literally every day of my life, I still feel like it is the most evasive elusive topic in the world. How do you define self-love? 
Mm, I love this question. I think it's recognizing how great, how special, and how worthy you are. And it does, it takes so much work because I think that we... We're always on the flip side. What can I do better? I'm not good at this. And I think it's really saying, you know what? I am enough. I absolutely enough. And yes, that doesn't mean I'm perfect. And it doesn't mean that I can't continue to improve, but I am enough today. So that's how I see it. Yeah. And okay, here's another thing that came up because you're like, relationships are the best teachers. There were a good handful of moments. As you know, I'm like madly in love with my boyfriend, Timmy. We've been dating yes. for almost two and a half years. It's been so life-changing and amazing in so many ways. But when we would get into conflict, one thing that would often come up is like, I would say, or he would say, I just thought I was more healed. Mm. Basically, like I thought I had my shit more together before I got into this. And this has really pointed out how many wounds I still have that I need to work on. Tell me about that. Mm-hmm. I think we have so many childhood things that surface when we're in relationships. So our childhood has so much to do with it. And, and we don't know until we're in a relationship and our partner triggers us. And a lot of times that can happen. And another one of my favorite expressions is if it's hysterical, it's historical. Mm. Meaning if you're seeing something with your partner and it feels really intense, it's like, oh, wait, maybe this isn't about my partner. Maybe it's about something that I've experienced in the past. So those things can really surface when we're in relationships and we, do, we don't know it until we're in it, right? Like he said, like I thought it was healed, right? It's like, oh, okay, I'm, I, I've got some more stuff. Yeah. Well, what do you do with that baggage? Because obviously sometimes it ends up like getting pushed onto the other person, but how do you take accountability for it and heal from it when it does get triggered? Like how much of that is yours to hold and how much of that is your partner's to hold? Obviously, we have to be responsible for ourselves. So I think it's that accountability. I think it's checking inward and saying, oh, I'm triggered and saying, okay, what is this really about? And then, yeah, taking that responsibility. And then, of course, as a partner, if you can be compassionate and recognize, oh, okay, my role is maybe to try not to take it personally. And it's so hard. But yeah, I recognize my partner may have trauma in this area. I'm going to try to be compassionate around that. doesn't mean that partner can walk all over me, but it's like, oh, okay, I can sense that's a sensitive topic. Yeah. So I think both can play a part. You know, to me, couples therapy is going to be the new therapy. Like, I feel like at least in Los Angeles, which is where we both live, there is not really a stigma, at least not to me, around therapy anymore. Like, everybody's doing mm -hmm. it. Everybody's talking about it. Mental health is a thing we all acknowledge. But when you hear somebody's in couples therapy or when somebody hears someone's in couples therapy, they're often like, oh, oh my gosh, what's wrong? Things must be really bad. I can't believe. But the truth is we are left unsupervised with these people that we are in love with. We're basically on love drugs with. And then when those wear away, we're left with each other and our traumas and we have to figure out what to do. And I just think the next phase in evolution of humanity is going to be realizing that couples therapy is akin to individual therapy and sometimes you need it because like this stuff isn't necessarily intuitive. So tell me about that. I love that you said that. I absolutely love that you said that. 
I think in general, therapy is so helpful and whether it's individual or couple, but yes, you're, you're spot on in the beginning. You have all these endorphins and everything is peachy keen and wonderful. And then you're right. It wears off and you're kind of left with like, Ooh. And so I always say to, to couples, I would so much rather them come in sooner than later, almost before the damage is done. So you can come in and talk about, Hey, you know, I recognize I have my own trauma with finances. Can we sit down with my partner and talk about it? Hey, we're embarking. We're, we're about to have a kid. Can we talk about what that looks like? Uh, so it's it's really about that proactive therapy first and foremost, but people don't operate like that. It's more, hey, we're in trouble. We need you. So of course, I'm, I'm ready to come in and help, but it, I, I'd rather couples come in beforehand for sure. Right. And to learn tools so that you can move through when things do get heavier. You understand each other. You see where the other person is coming from. Like, It's just so interesting to me that there's still such a deep stigma around it. And it really is looked at as you only do that if you're up shit's creek, you know? Yes. But I think it should be much more normalized, like especially before marriage. Like I know in the Catholic Church, like they've got like the Catholic counseling. But I do think whatever, I don't know what that actually involves, but it's a wise thing to do before you legally bind yourself to someone, certainly. (laughs) Well, and I think it helps if somebody else is that mediator to come in and just say, hey, let's talk about the hard topics. Because I think sometimes couples are still, they're tiptoeing. Like, oh, I don't want to mess things up. I don't know if I want to bring this up. And then here's this mediator therapist kind of coming in and saying, all right, let's talk about it. Let's talk about the hard stuff and what's your take and what's your take. And, you know, something like that makes it more neutral, the room more neutral. Right. So I, I do think it's helpful. And if someone out there is listening and they're going through a struggle right now with their partner, but they're afraid to bring up that they think couples therapy could be helpful to them, how would you advise them to bridge the topic in a way that's non-threatening, that doesn't say like, hey, I think the relationship is doomed. That's really about, I want to get closer to you. I want to know you. I want to work through all of our issues. How do you advise somebody brings this up? My favorite method is definitely the sandwich method, where you start with the really great stuff. In the middle, you talk about the hard, difficult things, and then you end again on that positive note. So I would start with, hey, I love our relationship. I love the time we spend together. I feel really connected to you. Then you kind of go into the middle. One thing I'm thinking about, I think we can even get closer and we can talk about more vulnerable things and I'd love to learn even more things about you and your childhood and maybe you want to learn about mine. So I was wondering if if we could do couples therapy. I think it would be so good for us and you end again. Doing something like this, I think, could make us even stronger and have our relationship have less miscommunication, be less defensive and ultimately give us a better partnership. Mm. And... When you were writing this book, you wrote about the 15 most common problems that come up. Why these ones? What is it about these problems that creates so much tension in a relationship? I think it has to do with some cultural issues. So if you think about what issues have the most emotion around it, right? It's sex. In our culture, it's still taboo. It's still, there's a lot of religious components to it. It's money. That's tied up. It's, you know, it's talking about your security and your self-worth and how you were raised and if you're successful. So I think a lot of times that's why those issues come to play because there's so much cultural stigma. There's so much around that emotions tied to it. So that's why I think a lot of those issues are, are the most common for that reason. And what would you say are the core tenets 
of all good relationships? Like, are there any through lines that you've seen in your work? For sure. Yes. So I think transparency, being really honest, right? I mean, to me, if you can't have that honesty in a relationship, it's like, you know, what do you have? And you're creating a wall and, uh, you know, you can't really, you don't have that true authenticity. Obviously, communication, you have to be able to state what you need, how you feel. And I think that's just downplayed. I think we're not taught enough that it's okay to advocate what we need and asking our partners what they need. We're just not really taught that. It's another reason why couples therapy is so important. I think having fun, right? Yes. That's so important. I feel like the lack of fun is a problem. I mean, when you look at a lot of these problems that you state in the book, like that runs through a lot of them, actually. Like even the stuff like post kids not connecting the same. It's because you're not having fun together, not making time for each other. You're not having fun together. Like fun, that's a really important value, I think, in a relationship and one that's often overlooked. Yes, definitely agree with you. And one of the things I talk about in Love Hacks is I call quick partner connections, right? So a lot of times we feel like we need to put in a ton of effort into the relationship. And I'm like, no, 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 it can be really quick. And so I have an acronym called T's. And I start with traditions. So I want you and your partner to come up with something just for the two of you. It could be a good morning kiss. It could be listing your grateful things for the day. E is for efforts. So doing just a quick effort. If it's, you know, scrubbing ice off your partner's car, if you live in the winter, it's making your partner coffee. A is acknowledgement. So telling your partner something that, you know, you love about them. S is silly. And so there's where that fun comes in, right? Like, what if you come home one day and just have like a pig nose on, you know, to surprise your partner? Like, just make it fun and lively, right? Talk in a foreign accent. Go to a comedy show. Just bring back some of that, just that liveliness that we kind of, that that gets dimmed, right, over time. And then E is erotic, sending a steamy text or just making it sort of fun and sensual to bring back some of that. Hmm. I love that. Speaking of erotic, I mean, I know you're a spiritual person, but I don't know how into the chakras you are, but you know, creativity and sexuality are ruled by the same chakra, the sacral chakra. They both are in there. And so my kind of theory is if we're shutting off one, we're more than likely shutting off the other in some way and blocked in some way. What have you found works if there is some sort of a blockage in that area to help people like unleash their sexuality and in turn unleash their creativity? Sure. I think what I found amongst couples is if they're not having sex, first and foremost, there might be a resentment. So I think it's really talking to your partner about what's going on and checking in. I'm like, what am I angry about? The only way out is through and talking about that. So that's kind of one of the more common things I've seen. But then it's also, I think we focus a lot on sex and orgasm and the final goal and kind of have to bring couples back a little bit of like, hey, let's bring it back to some sensuality. Just, you know, start from that place. 
going back to the basics of like, how does this feel and textures and sensations and things like that, where it's not so overwhelming, where it's like, okay, we got to do this, you know, it's like, okay, so that helps. And then bringing back sort of that aliveness of getting dressed up again, doing activities that spark some of that adrenaline. So you can feel that way with your partner, rock climbing, roller coasters, you know, anything like that, where you can bring back some of that. And I think you're right, it is tied to that creativity, which then in turn, is sexuality or sensuality. And something too that I think is worth mentioning, especially on this pod, is when you have as a partner who's not supportive of whatever your dream is, even like if it's like a hobby, how do you approach that as a couple's therapist? And if somebody's dealing with that right now where their partner is not supportive of their dream, how can they work through that with them or see if it's time to leave? So I think the first thing is to recognize why are they not supportive? Do they have their own financial fears about, okay, if you embark on something, are we not going to be able to do it financially? Are they worried they're going to lose you? So I think it's really recognizing the why. Why are they not supportive and trying to understand that piece? And then I think it's coming back to, hey, we're a unit here. We're a team, right? Yes, we're individuals, but we're also, we're a team together. So how can we achieve these dreams together? How can we support each other in this? Because yes, we're both going to be independent. We're going to have different needs and wants, but how can we do it together? I think that's so important to come back to that because we forget we're so individual. It's like, okay, I got to do this. I got to do this. But wait, okay, as a team, how can we do it? So maybe it's enlisting that partner of like, hey, what what can you do to help me get this and vice versa? So what would be an example of that in action? So like, let's say I have a dream to start my own business, but my partner is like, no, that's not going to work. We can't do that. But I'm dead inside because I know if I don't do this, I am not being myself. What then? Like what happens after like the no and the pushback from the partner? Sure. So I think the partner like you, for example, I would want you to tell your partner why. Why does this mean something to you? Why is this important to you? Right. And then I think it's like getting the buy in from your partner. Right. So this will be important to me because I'm going to be a better partner to you. I'm going to have passion. I'm going to be able to enjoy things more. Right. We're going to have more fun together if I'm more invigorated. And then asking the partner, like, how do you feel that, you know, you could support me in this, right? Maybe giving that partner a purpose Mm. of like, and so they kind of can, oh, okay, the wheels are turning. Like, I can be a part of this. This isn't just Lauren's thing. This is the two of us. Do you find that helps a lot when somebody, when there's one person who wants one thing and the other person is resistant to that person doing that, is giving them a part in it? Yes. Wow. That's a really interesting tactic. Now, this isn't my situation. I want to be very clear. My boyfriend's very supportive. But like if it's something smaller, like even if you want to go out to dinner one place and the other person doesn't, this could be a very useful tactic. Yes, exactly. Some may call it manipulative. I say it's teamwork. Yeah, exactly. Well, because you're going to do it for them sometime too. And you can share what you're doing. You could say like, this is my tactic. Feel free to use it yourself sometime. Exactly. No, I like that. Right. Being fully transparent, which brings us back, right? Exactly. Okay. Wait, Kelly, let me tell you one of my favorite parts of your book was the section on my partner never listens to me because this was actually a big fight that came up between, I don't want to say fight, but it was a, it was a recurring conflict. I feel like we've pretty much resolved it. Like we haven't had this come up in months. It's been at least like four months. So I feel like that's like a great track record, but Timmy would be like, you don't listen to me. You're not listening to me. 
but like we would literally fight over the definition of what listening is because Uh I could repeat back to him exactly what he said. And like, it was also confusing to me because my whole life I've been told I'm a great listener. Like that's a recurring compliment I get. When I was in school, when I was young, I would literally be like daydreaming and my teachers thought I wasn't listening. And then they would call on me and I would give them the exact right answer. It was interesting because I had to understand that Tim didn't mean like I could just like parrot back what he said. When he said, listen, he didn't mean you don't hear me literally. He meant I don't feel seen. I don't feel like you're present with me. And that was hard for me to get because I was like, but I am. But it was like I was cutting him off, not purposefully, but I was like, oh, my God, look, a bird over there. And then I was coming back Mm -hmm. to it because that's just the way my mind works. So anyway, I just rambled a lot to tell you, like, I find this to be a fascinating concept because you can even fight about what listening even is. So what is listening to you? Also, if you have any thoughts about that whole thing I just said, I'm also curious to hear your take on it. Oh, of course. I love this. Okay. So plain and simple, hearing is just hearing sounds, right? So we hear a dog barking, we hear music. Listening is actually like understanding what the person is saying. So exactly what you were saying, like you were hearing, but what he's saying is like, you're not quite getting what I'm saying, right? And then this is another section, but maybe he wanted feedback as to what he was saying, not just kind of you nodding and things like that. So that's a, that's a different section completely. But yeah, I think it's just really recognizing, okay, in order for somebody to feel listened to, they want the other person to understand exactly what they're saying Mm. and they want them to be on the same level. And so, yeah, you can reflective listen back, but it's really, are they getting me? Am I feeling seen? Do I feel like they got the message? Mm. And so in your case, yeah, I'm curious, like for him, was it that he felt like, okay, obviously you heard what I said, but are you not understanding or are you just, like you said, like distracted and you can't quite, you know, and and then you kind of paused and moved on or, you know, did he explain it? Yeah. So what he was feeling was I wasn't present enough with him because like, it's interesting because I've kind of come to understand this is just like a difference in who we are as people. Even when he's working, like he needs to completely focus on his work. And if he's interrupted, he's totally like thrown off. Whereas me, I can like be working, be like, oh my God, look at that thing over there. And then go right back to my work. And it's no problem for me. And I'm still focused. But I think that was a time when we didn't really know each other as well as we know each other now. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, like I'm still kind of deciphering what it all meant. But what I now know he needs is like, if he's telling me something serious, it's not a time to divert. But in my family, speaking yes. like you also have culture in the book, which I thought was so great. In my family, like that's a normal thing. Like it doesn't matter how serious the topic is. People are going in a million directions all the time. He needs more presence and like to feel like somebody is seeing him in addition to listening to him. I think what you're describing is undivided attention. That's what he wants. He wants you fully there. When it's a serious thing. Right, Exactly. So I think what happens is he feels, and this is not what you mean, but right, if you are distracted, that means you are not caring about him and his issue, right? Versus like you said, you can multitask. So that makes complete sense. So for him, that felt like, oh, I'm kind of invisible again. Like, you know, she's off to the races, I'm invisible. But that's great that you kind of recognize that and you're like, okay, I'm going to hone in. I see that when he's serious, I need to, to be focused on him and he'll feel seen that way. Yeah. And I think, too, it's like what I was kind of struck by in reading this is like so many things that 
come up as conflicts can be cured by actually understanding each other. Actually learning who somebody is, actually learning their intention, learning that they work differently than you and that it's not a bad thing. Even learning to love the parts of them that you find challenging, like kind of the same way you can build that self-compassion, building compassion for your partner and being like, oh, they're doing that thing again. Yes, Aw, exactly. I love you. Uh-huh. <laughs> I love that spin because you're so right. I mean, look, our partners are going to annoy us, but you're right. If we can reframe it, it's going to make all the difference because, right, if you go into something, oh my God, if my partner is late again, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to lose it versus like, oh my God, my partner is always late. Like, right, you, you make it a little light, lighter and it feels lighter to you. Right. So I love that spin. I mean, Kelly, that was something I said not early on, but like maybe about a year and a half into our relationship. And I want to talk about this thing you bring up in the book. It is called Cognitive Distortions. We want to get to that, all or nothing thinking. But we were having this argument and I was like, do you have things about yourself you don't like? Are you going to throw yourself away because you don't like that one thing? Like when you have a beautiful relationship and the heartbeat of your relationship is beauty and fun and like safe in closeness, you don't throw it away just because a little thing comes up. You change your perspective from, are we going to get through this to how can we get through this? Oh my God. I feel like you should be a couples therapist. You're so good and you're so right because I think people are so quick to just toss and disregard or get angry even. But you're right. I think part of a healthy relationship is knowing that, right? That we're going to have our challenges and our quirks and that we need to accept it. That is part of it. So I love that you said that. I absolutely love that. And I think the other piece is like, that is a relationship. That hard part is working through those. I mean, that's really what it is. That's why people say relationships are work. It's going to be working through that. You know, and I get why people do it because I've been tempted to do it too, to like be in that all or nothing thinking because I've been hurt before and because I've never loved like this before. And when you have big love, the fear of losing it is that much greater. And I think it's easy to get into all or nothing thinking when you're scared. And when you're scared, you're going to lose the person you love the most in this world. Or when you're afraid some difference is just like too big to bridge the gap. And so, yeah, like I get why people get into it. But the perspective shift I've really made is like from, oh, my God, are we going to get through this to, okay, how will we get through this? And I know we can get through this. So tell me why in your practice you think, why in your practice you've seen people fall into this all or nothing thinking? Like how, how does it happen and what does it look like in action? Sure. And even before we get to that, I just want to touch upon something you said. I think the antidote when people are scared is to be vulnerable Mm -hmm. and say to our partner, hey, I'm really scared right now. And it's so hard to do that. But that's really what it is, right? It's that fear that's creating that anger and, you know, and and all of that. So it's getting vulnerable and saying, I'm really scared. I'm scared I'm going to lose you or, you know, something like that. That helps tremendously. But yeah, I think it's very easy for people to get into that black and white thinking. I mean, I think that, again, you sort of forget you're a team. And so you're sort of really adamant about your point, right? And I think that's part of that. It's hard to see somebody else's perspective. So if we can, again, remember we are a unit here. Oh, how can I see it from my partner's point of view? That shift is going to be key. That will help. Hey, creative. If you love the show and it has meant a lot to you, could you do me a favor? Rate and review on Apple 
give it a review on Spotify, share it with a friend. These things all make a major difference in a podcaster's life and in growing their show. And I really want to build up this community of creatives who love, trust, and know themselves and love, trust, and deeply know others. So if you could do that and share the show with someone you care about, that would mean so much. All right. I love you. Okay. I also want to ask you this. Like, I feel like people don't talk about what authentic relationships really look like. Because here's my take. When two people come together, if they're being fully authentic with each other, especially in the beginning, people make it seem like, oh, in the beginning, everything's like floating on a fucking cloud. Like it is until it's not. And then things get real and you have to start negotiating. And like through that period, conflict will come because if you're both being authentic, at some point you're going to bump up against each other's edges and have to deal with that. How much do people actually fight and why do we feel so prone to lying about that in public or pretending like everything's rosier than it is? Even when things are great, like there's still stuff. Why do people sugarcoat it? I mean, I think there's going to be a range, right? A lot of couples are a little bit more passionate, so they're going to have a little bit more of that fire. Some people don't as much, but it is normal, right, to have those arguments because, again, you're being authentic. You're stating what you need. We're wired differently. We're going to bump up against each other. That's just normal. But I think you're right. I think there's still this illusion that I have to present that I'm very happy and I'm this, we're getting along really well because if not, what are you going to think? Or maybe, right, it's like, I think there still is this fairy tale that if we really loved each other, we're not going to fight and we're going to look really great on paper, you know, uh, uh, in presentation, right? But that's not true. So I think, yeah, I think there's still this illusion that we need to look like a very happy couple when that's not the truth. I mean, we all fight. That's what life is. Yeah. And I guess like I have heard some friends say like, I never fight with my partner, which I'm like, that's amazing. But how? Like... Timmy and I have definitely had long periods. We've been in one for like months now, but it's because I think we did really hard work in between years one and two in our relationship to get to a place where we have this understanding. We have a really honest relationship. The versions we're loving each other are not the versions we've made up of each other in our heads. They're who we really are. So I think we've gotten to this place that we're in now because we've earned it. And I'm sure there's going to be more up levelings we're going to have to get to. But I have friends who legitimately say, I never fight with my partner. Is that healthy? Well, I'm just wondering for them, does fighting mean like slamming the door and not talking for days? Or, you know, are you thinking arguments and they're thinking fights? So that's the first maybe I'm curious about, right? So because some people have different understanding of that. And then the other thing is for people who don't argue per se, I'm wondering, are they not really stating their needs? Are they people pleasing? Or is their partner people pleasing? Because that could be a thing too. Yeah. So there's so much here, right? It doesn't, so that doesn't mean they're the perfect couple. It may mean there's stuff underneath. Well, do you find that a lot? Because I think that B is the answer. I do think that there's like a lot of times when there is a lack of conflict, because I'm not talking about the slamming door. That's scary to me. So that's different. But I'm talking about when two people are authentic in relationship at some point, if they're both being authentic and they're not literal clones of each other, they're going to bump up against each other and bump up against some sort of edge of each other Mm -hmm. or trigger each other. So when that happens, conflict is inevitable. For these people who aren't fighting, I have to think 
that it's one person who's swallowing a lot. Yes. And that that could absolutely happen. And then it comes out sideways, right? So I think for those who, who maybe do people please, just know that it doesn't just sort of like go under the rug. It comes out at some point, right? Either later or you know, an explosion or something. So it's so important to really tune in, like, does this feel right to me? And I always say, like, I always I love the expression for fun and for free, right? We should do something where we want to do it for fun and with no expectations. And so that helps sort of check in, like, am I doing this because I feel like I'm obligated to do it? Or am I doing it because I really want to do it? And that helps too. But yeah, I think you're on to something for sure. I think there's a lot of people pleasing going on and then it doesn't create an authentic relationship for sure. It creates a pleasant relationship, but not an authentic one. So if the person listening right now is a people pleaser and they are like, wait, that sounds kind of like me. How do they start to bring their authentic self to the relationship when they've been pushing down their needs for years? I think number one, because I think the fear is, oh my God, I'm going to change and it's going to change everything. So I think it's really saying to your partner, hey, I've been thinking about it and you know, I'm going to start being more my authentic self. That may look a little different. I may be stating more of my opinions. We may be bumping heads a little bit more because I'm really trying to kind of tune in what I need. Before, I think I was so attuned to your needs and that was great, but I think we need to have more of a balance. So I think it's first setting the scene, right? So then therefore the partner's not surprised and maybe hopefully can support the other partner of like, yes, I want you to tell me your needs. Yes. I mean, I hear that all the time with couples like, oh my God, yes, I want you to tell me, right? It's not this like, no, 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 hide it, right? I think partners want their other partner to be authentic. So I think that's the first step. And then, yeah, really tuning in. I mean, some people don't even know what they want. So it's really checking in. What do I want? And then maybe what am I fearful of if I do state my needs? Am I scared I'm going to get bogged down? Am I scared I'm going to lose my partner? So it's kind of looking at those two. And then on the other end of it, if you find yourself with the people-pleasing person, yes, that could be very jarring because you're like, wait, 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 wait. Like you're changing the script of our lives. How should that person deal? Yeah, exactly. So I think it's knowing that, look, it's going to be a pendulum and it might swing one way for a little bit longer, right? This person is just getting in tune with what they're needing and it might feel a little selfish, but it's going to come back to equilibrium at some point. So it's just kind of noticing like, okay, yeah, I've got to be patient with this. And then also knowing, right? I do want a partner who's going to be really true and authentic. And it might be a little more difficult for me, but you know, in order for this person to really show up in this relationship, they have to be true to themselves. And I have to accept that. A big thing that comes up, I think, in a lot of relationships is either somebody has reluctance to apologize or apologizes in a the way Kelly Kapoor would say, a, a fake kind of apology, where they say, uh -huh. I'm sorry you feel that way. Feel this way. <laughs> yes, exactly. What does good repair look like? Oh, this is such a good question. Yeah, it is hands down accountability, right? It is not, I'm sorry, but I'm sorry, you feel that way. It's really owning your stuff first and foremost, right? I mean, we can get to the other partner's part later, but it's owning your part first and foremost. I'm so sorry I was late. It was unexcusable. It won't happen again. Whatever it is that this situation, but it's really owning it with no excuses, with, you know, acknowledging the pain that was caused. It's, you know, expressing remorse. I'm so sorry. Things like that. And that's kind of the first step. Then you can talk about later your partner's part or why this happened or something like that. Mm. 
And, you know, something I've learned in the past year that I find fascinating, I think that they studied this in parent-child relationships, but it absolutely holds Mm -hmm. true in any relationship, is that if you don't ever have conflict and you don't ever have repair, you can't actually ever be as close. That the closeness actually comes from the repair, not from the faking everything's perfect all the time. Right. What are some post-repair sweetness things that you you know of that we can look forward to because it's scary and it's vulnerable to apologize it's scary to tell someone they hurt your feelings what's on the other side of that that people can look forward to and kind of have as their incentive when they're going through those deeply vulnerable painful moments sure and when you were talking about that I was just thinking you're right it doesn't just apply to romantic relationships parents can do this with their kids they make a mistake And they own that. And it's so good for the kids to see that. Oh, okay. So this is what happens when I make a mistake growing up. I'm going to learn how to apologize to somebody. So it's wonderful modeling. And the same for our partners. Once we do that, our partners are like, oh, okay, this is good for me. Okay, yeah, if I make a mistake, I'm going to do the same thing for my partner. So I think the other side is, is A, recognizing, yeah, that this is good for both of us, right? But I think you're spot on. There is a closeness because hey, wow, my partner's imperfect, but they're owning it and they're taking accountability and they want to be close with me. So I think that imperfection creates that closeness and that vulnerability that we talk about. So yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a beautiful thing, that repair, and it's so important. And it's just taking that shame away and saying, this doesn't, it's my behavior that was wrong. It's not me that was wrong. And I think we can we can separate the two. So on the other side of the repair, it's really closeness, ability to be vulnerable with your partner, lovey-doveyness. I I think that that's something that comes up a lot when you get on the other side of something hard. And yeah, like I just love this idea that being wrong isn't the worst thing in the world. Exactly. And creating that as part of the culture of your relationship, I think is very important because it creates a space where you can say, hey, you hurt me and then apologize and move forward with your lives. Very true. You know, I think we are brought up in this way that we shouldn't be wrong and we have to be defensive and we have to prove our point. And it's the opposite. It's like softening into that. Oh, you're right. I shouldn't have done that. You know, rather than, no, I did this because, right? I think we want to, we want to be proud and we want to own it. It's like, no, 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 it's the opposite. And again, I think that's cultural based. Can you apologize while still explaining? Like, for instance, could I say, I'm so sorry I hurt you. I see how what I did made you feel that way and I deeply apologize for it. I do want to share that this was my intention. Clearly, it did not resonate and I will try to approach you differently next time. That was hands down perfection. Yay! Yeah, I'm going to tell my boyfriend. I'm going to clip that on. I was like, just going to say, Timmy, you, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It was, it was great. No, perfect. I mean, that was, to me, that was accountable. That was, you, you expressed remorse. You acknowledged the harm that was done. And I love how you said, I'm going to approach it differently, right? Next time it's going to look different. Yeah. So I think you've handled that beautifully. Okay, cool. Thank you. Oh, yes. <laughs> my work is working. Oh, wait, there's something that I love that you said in the book. The only way for things to change is for things to change. Explain what you mean by that. 
well, I think people expect things to change by not doing anything, like right. magically, right? And I'm like, it's going to be hard. You're going to have to do the work. You're going to have to have compassion. You're going to have to look at things differently. I just think there's this idea that it's just, it's going to be okay. And it's like, no, 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 it's going to be uncomfortable. And there's going to be things that you're going to have to change in order for the relationship to change, in order for it to be better. And tell me this, Kelly, this is like a fascinating little tidbit that I've just seen be true across all my relationships, but especially my romantic ones. Why is it that when you work on yourself, your relationship always gets better? And sometimes in these drastic ways, like you might think that your partner's the problem, but suddenly you start working on yourself and all these things that they were doing evaporate into thin air. What is that? Yeah, exactly. Well, I think because we go in and we want our partner to save us and rescue Mm. us or, right? And it's like, that's the work that we got to do. So to me, it sounds like you were like, oh, I recognized my own trauma and I did my own healing, right? I'm not looking for my partner to do that healing for me or, you know, forgive me for the things that I've done. I've got to do that first. And it does. It makes for a much better relationship if we can look at our own stuff beforehand. Or even during the relationship. Again, yeah. like I said things are going to come up. But it's like, ooh, I'm recognizing you. That is my childhood stuff. I got to separate for a second, work on my own childhood wounds, and then come back. But it could even be things that you're not realizing. Like just working on your own self-love mm-hmm. changes the way you relate to love. And then when you get back into a relationship with the person after, like, not that you've, like, left them, but, like, while doing the self-work, suddenly those things that were between you just like they either get softer or that person can no longer be like, oh yeah, this is cool that I do that. They have to change because you've up-leveled. I really think when one person changes, they either decide to up-level with you or you end up parting ways. And so I think one of the best ways to be in relationship with someone is to work on yourself. Like, especially like if you find yourself, you listening, like having conflict, When you work on yourself, everything changes. It's just kind of wild. Do you find that in your private practice? I was just going to say, when couples come in, it's so funny because you almost see these pointing fingers like, if they would just, right? And I kind of stopped them and I said, well, what's your part? And they're like, oh, I don't, I don't want to tell you my part. I want to tell you about them and what they're doing wrong. And I'm like, well, the only person we can change here is you, right? Because it's like, we can't change our partners. We have to change ourselves. That's the only thing we can do and hope our partner changes too. But yeah, so first and foremost, where's my part in this? What, what do I need to work on? We're very quick to blame. So I think you're, you're right about that. Yeah. And speaking of quick to blame, chores. Yes. Why is that so hard to figure out? That is so hard to figure out. And it feels like it should be so simple. Like why can something like washing the dishes create such a rift? And why is it given so much meaning? What is it about the chores? So I think that a lot has to do with how you grew up, right? How were chores done in your household? And so you're coming from two completely different places. So that's number one. But I think that, you know, to me, it's very simple. It's establishing it before you enter this partnership, which is so hard because you don't, you're like, oh, I don't, I don't be fine. I'll work it out. But no, do it beforehand of like, hey, you know, what's so hard for you? Is it cleaning toilets? Like what's the, you know, and okay, maybe I can take that on. And what can I do? And just really establishing a routine beforehand, if you can, will make such a difference. And I'm a big proponent of like a chore chart. 
and you switch off weeks and then it's simple and it's like, okay, week one, I know I'm going to do this and week two and you have it set up on the refrigerator and you both know, okay. And, and that way it's not like, you know, somebody's the, the parent in this. Have you done the dishes? It's like, right. It's, it's right there. Yeah. That's such a good tip. And you actually in the book have this full chart that you could literally like take a picture on your phone, put it onto Mm -hmm. your computer and then like print it out. Or you could have like an iPad and you're both like sharing the doc and filling it out. So yeah, highly recommend that. We did a chore chart and that helped. And then like, just like setting, I think setting rules really helps. And then this other thing you said was also huge. I think assuming positive intentions. You give this example in the book where this couple, the one guy, he got home late at night, he made dinner and then he left the dishes in the sink. The woman partner got up and was like, oh, how could he? How could he be so insensitive? But like no one was being bad. No one was being a mean person. Like I think too with the chores thing, like assuming positive intentions and then talking about it is huge. But tell me about that scenario because I thought that was poignant because so many people have been in a situation like that. Yes. Assuming positive intentions is really remembering, right? Our partner's not out to get us. They're not trying to annoy us, right? They probably got caught up with something. And so it's remembering like, my partner doesn't want to hurt me. Maybe I need to pull back a little bit and see, oh, was there something else going on with them? Or can I just suspend that for a second and kind of figure out the reason later? And so, right, in that scenario, right, she's getting annoyed. She's like, oh my God, there's decision in the sink. He always does this. And then it was like, once they resolved it, oh, his meeting ran late. And it was like, oh, okay, that makes sense, right? So maybe if she assumed like, oh, it's, you know, I wonder if something really went on with him where he had this meeting that he couldn't get out of. And so if she had thought that way, she probably would have had more compassion. Of like, oh, okay, that makes sense. He he got caught up, but you know, I know him, he'll do it tomorrow. And I just, I can put my neurosis aside that it needs to be done this second and 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 have some patience around that. Yeah, it's so huge because I don't know, I think sometimes I know a piece of baggage I entered the relationship with, not a nice piece, was Mm -hmm. I was conditioned to think love is disappointing because I was in a seven-year-long relationship where love was disappointing. And so a lot of times things like that would happen and I'd be like, of course this is happening because like this is just how it is in relationships. How it's supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. And Tim would be like, why aren't you trying to see the best in me? Like... I actually was going to get to that thing. It just wasn't in the exact hour you thought. And like, why couldn't you ask me instead of assuming the worst? Making that shift to now, I really do view everything through love colored glasses because Mm -hmm. like there was also a great tip you gave in the book, Kelly, where you said, um, remember why you fell in love in the first place. And I think in those moments where we're like scared or hurt or like assuming the worst or catastrophizing, we're just in like, either our younger self from past painful relationships, our child self who is disappointed in love. And we need to remember the heartbeat of our relationship and why we fell in love in the first place and who that person really is. And like, for me, they're my favorite person in the world. They're the most beautiful person in the world. And they would never put me in a place where I would have anything less than beauty. And so it's so important to remember that. And I love that you put that in there. Is there anything else, Kelly, that you're like really wanting to say about the book specifically? 
I think that it's knowing that we can get through the hard times of kind of what we were saying before, where it's so easy to just disregard. And I think that we live in such a society where we're getting instant results and, and we're used to things coming quickly. Oh, if I want to order this, it's going to come tomorrow. And I think sometimes it's that patience of like, sometimes it takes time to work through things, especially if it's worth it. And and you're in a relationship, you need to have that patience and know that it might take some time and it might not be instant and that's okay. Right. And there is growth in that journey, right. Of just waiting and the patience and things like that. So that's sort of what I want my takeaway to be. Yeah. It's so worth it. I'd like to share something that my therapist said. I was talking to her and I'm like, before Timmy, like I had never had a good relationship. I hadn't really seen that many relationships that I would want, except for my grandparents. Like they had the most beautiful love. They were so balanced. They were both so strong. Like they saw each other. They loved each other. They lifted each other up. They spoke glowingly about each other. And it was very balanced, especially for the time. I mean, like, you know, they got married in the fifties. So it was, it was a long time ago. And like, She said this thing to me that really struck me. She's like, yeah, Lauren, but you didn't know them when they were first married. You don't know how they got there. And so I think that the funny thing is people think like, oh, it's supposed to be figured out from the beginning. No, like a lot of times you grow into and land in love. Mm -hmm. And so if things are rocky, but you know the heartbeat of your relationship is beauty and you know that your relationship is something to fight for, Don't give up because of your fears, your past experiences, your baggage, your lack of understanding. Change the question from, will we get through this to how can we get through this? And read Kelly's book because she's got simple hacks to get through all of the hardest parts of life and love. And it's worth it. Love is just like, honestly, Kelly, I used to think that people who cared about love were dumb. I know it's mean. But it's true, like, because I was so disappointed and so sad. And I have to tell you, like, my relationship is my favorite part of my life. Oh, I love that. I never thought that would be the case. Mm. It's just the best. And it can be that for you. And it can expand you as a person. And it can make you want better things for yourself. And relationships can be expansive and help you be more creative. So for you listening, if you're in a relationship or you want to be in a relationship, pick up a copy of Kelly's book. I can't recommend it enough. It's got great, simple tools that you can use today. You don't have to be like reading up on a philosophy for 10 years to understand it, which I really appreciate. And Kelly, just thank you for what you do in the world to spread more love and help people stay together. Thank you. And thank you for helping so many people. I, I love your podcast. I think you're wonderful. And and in your next career, I think couples therapists will be perfect for you. And Timmy's very lucky. Oh, so sweet. Well, <laughs> thank you, Kelly. Lots of love and congrats on the book. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening and thanks to my guest, Kelly Miller. For more info on Kelly, follow her at Kelly Miller Therapy and visit her website, kellymillertherapy.com. You can get a copy of her new book, Love Hacks, Simple Solutions to Your Most Common Relationship Issues on February 13th and you can get that wherever good books are found. Thanks to Rachel Fulton for helping edit and associate produce this episode. Follow her at Rachel M. Fulton. Thanks to Liz Full for the show's theme music. Follow her at Liz Full. 
And again, thank you. If you like what you heard today, remember to rate, review, and follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Share the show with a friend and post about it on social media. Tag me at Lauren LaGrasso and at Unleash Your Inner Creative, and I will repost to share my gratitude. Also tag the guests at Kelly Miller Therapy so they can share as well. My wish for you this week is you reflect on your own relationships and ask yourself, am I being my most authentic self in my relationship and in my life in general? Am I taking accountability for myself through times of conflict? Am I continuing to love myself within this relationship? If you do this, it will not only foster personal growth, but it will also enhance the health of all the relationships in your life. I love you and I believe in you. Talk with you next week.